0: and welcome to That's Debatable, the weekly news podcast of the Free Speech Union. Welcome back, Ben. How are you doing? I'm very well. It's
1: great to be back. Um, And uh, it's very interesting listening to your conversation with Sharon Davies last week.
0: Um, Sorry to to have missed it. It was fantastic having her. We we had a really good chat. She's just such a hero, isn't she? She's uh, really become such an important voice for fairness in women's sport. And... uh, um, yeah, it was a really good conversation, a really good conversation. But we're back to the grindstone again this week. Um, we actually heard from, I think we we had a chat with just you and me, Ben, was probably about three weeks ago now. But at the end of that segment, we talked a lot about labels for what we're seeing happening in society. We talked about, it was in the context of Lord Frost's um, Telegraph article. And in that article, he talked about a new state ideology, Uh, Ben, I think you used the phrase, working towards the woke, and I use the phrase, the dead hand of the woke. All sorts of ways of describing the phenomenon or phenomena that we're seeing around us. And one of our listeners um, actually wrote into us, which is fantastic, with with another idea and, and came up with the idea of woke privilege. Woke privilege, so being like a play on the term white privilege. And the idea of woke privilege is that people they are people who follow the work orthodoxy, experience all the privileges of not being cancelled, of being free to express their opinions, their woke opinions, and are lauded online. They get praised online for uh, you know, abiding by the new orthodoxy. Um, so, yeah, I love that. I don't know what you felt about that, Ben. I like it a lot. I think it's, well, I don't
1: like that it exists, but I think it's a great statement summary explanation of how lots of these things work in modern workplaces so the idea of having woke privilege which confers a sort of special status a kind of immunity on you um i, I think is something definitely that i i have observed in previous jobs obviously not within the free speech union um but certainly <laughs> um certainly you say in the last five to ten years i i think looking back retroactively i uh, retrospectively i could say yes all right that's an example of woke privilege um and i think it's quite a neat inversion isn't it of the idea of white privilege um but Mm. being white is not something that that you choose or can help it's just how you're born whereas woke privilege is something that either you do sincerely believe in the new state ideology the new religion and of course lots of well not lots but but a significant number of people do believe in it um but also i think lots of it is performative you 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 kind of get that you have to say certain things if you want to be promoted within academia it's really helpful if in your appraisal you can be talking about your commitment to edi and the uh, i don't know the exhibition you helped organize about trans students or the work you've done to decolonize a curriculum or whatever so you know whether whether you believe in that or not if you're working towards the woke if you're using all of the right um catchphrases and liturgy and you can you can sort of perform wokeness to some extent you're much more likely to be promoted aren't you than some grumbling mm. conservative who everybody knows in the department thinks this is a load of rubbish that it's just it's just basically obvious that that you, if you have woke privilege you can you can sail through such a process without the obstacles that would be put in the
0: path of somebody who was perceived as being not woke so
1: i think it's a great summary
0: and i also think you privilege those who have it probably deny that they have it because they're swimming in that water of being woke of, of signing up to the orthodoxy and so when they are appraised at work or, or whatever, and and they're they're told, oh, what have you done to support LGBTQ?" or "What have you done, um, you know, to support racial justice in the workplace?" Whatever it may be, they they think, "Yeah, that's first of all, that's a reasonable question," and second of all, they they say, "Oh, yeah, it's an easy question to answer because I've done this, this, and this." Where where and and they don't see their woke privilege, if you see what I mean. It's a bit. I suppose it's a bit like. The argument goes the other way with white privilege, that that people say, well, I don't think I've got white privilege. Um, Again, that's quite interesting kind of how that that flips around as a mirror image of it.
1: I think it's also part of the way in which the revolution of 1968 has been institutionalized. And so you have people at the top of civil society or in quangos and uh, and so on, or in the arts world, we've spoken a lot about. Um, And their self-identity is all about being against the establishment, about being revolutionary. But of course, once you've dominated the establishment and institutions for 20 years, as that generation now have you are the establishment and so there's this strange tension where they they kind of they have to that that class of person has to be fighting against an enemy who is almost now completely imaginary of the of the sort of Eton oxbridge educated civil servants that that you'd have seen in yes minister um the the sort of imperial administrative class who you just don't exist anymore um and so in their minds, I think they're railing against this old establishment, and they have to pretend, for reasons of their own identity and their own sense of themselves, that they're not the establishment. And I think woke privilege nails that tension on mm. the head because actually they do have this uh, this privilege, and they they have to try very hard not to notice that they do because they are they're in, so invested in being or posing as revolutionaries. Um, so it captures that tension, I think.
0: Well, I, I certainly think it was um, a nice additional dimension to, to what we were talking about at the end of that episode. And all of these terms were kind of flowing, weren't they? Working towards the woke, the dead hand of the woke, um, and now woke privilege. So yeah, I, I, I'm very grateful for, for the listener who, who wrote in and, uh, and gave us that. That's uh, uh, helped us push forward our thoughts around, around this and how people are working in their tribes sometimes without knowing it
1: and um, we do have some more jargon to introduce now tom don't we because <laughs> since i've returned from my holiday i don't know if um if listeners have also had this experience but i can't turn my television on without seeing your face tom <clears throat> <laughs> the subject we've been speaking about is is b corpse which meant nothing i think to uh most of us say a month yeah. ago and you've done a report, a briefing into this phenomenon, which is like mm-hmm. a sort of stonewall diversity scheme on steroids, um, which is I mean, I'll leave I'll leave you to explain it because, it, it, because it's your research. But it but it but it's sort of it, it's washing through the corporate world through private business, isn't it? Um, the yeah. ideas of EDI coupled with justice, social justice. Yeah. So what is B Corp's? And what what is a B Corp? And what's going on?
0: Well, it's such an interesting area. And the reason we decided to investigate it a bit more deeply, it it goes back to the Coots farage uh, cancellation, because one of the items, one of the news items associated with the debanking of Nigel Farage was that Coots is a B Corp. And I think it was accredited uh, a couple of years ago. And... uh, that little snippet of information made us go away and, and think, okay, so what exactly does that mean? And we, we, we put together, we looked, we looked at all the bits of the B Corp ecosystem, because it's quite complicated. But in essence, there's the, there's the charity in the UK that establishes the standards for companies getting this accreditation. People really want this certification because what it means Is it says to investors, it says to employees, it says to customers, it says to all stakeholders that that company is running the business not just to make profit for shareholders but uh, for all stakeholders. So it also running, they're running the business for people and social justice and also they're running the business for the planet and the environment. And of course, in the current, uh, that phrase, I love that phrase, the waters we're swimming in culturally. You know, that gets a tick in every box. Uh, and it's kind of a version of environmentalism, social, sorry, environmental, social, and governance with ESG, which is, has been around for a long time now, been around for a good few decades. And uh, the issue uh, was that as soon as we looked at this, um, we saw a real link with our casework, um, not because we're just getting casework from B Corps, but because we get a lot of casework from equity, diversity, and inclusion, training or equity, diversity, and inclusion, questions that are being asked by someone or complaints that are being made about a person in a workplace. And uh, you're right, when we looked at the B Lab UK uh, website, we saw they had a J for justice. So they take all of that EDI and they have the language of racial justice, they have the language of climate justice as well. And again, that imports this U.S. identitarian, uh, when it's race, it's about critical race theory, imports that into um, uh, the way that B-Lab and UK are looking at the world. And this is the organization that designs and improves and refines the certification. So it doesn't necessarily mean that every company that becomes a B Corp will take on board all the values... Of B Lab, but they're signing up, they're going through this very long process to be certified, but which is where those standards include um, either implicitly or explicitly Jedi principles. So sorry, Jedi being J E D I, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. I'm a Star Wars fan, so that also kind of got me interested in it. Um, so that link becomes, as you say, almost like all of what we've been talking about with people coming and asking for help, getting into trouble, the EDI, add a J on the front, and it's, it's sort of turbo boosted, if you will. Uh, and that started to explain some of what we saw in the Coots dossier. And the language we saw in the Coots dossier resonated with the sorts of things you'd have to go through to become B Corp certified. So that was, that was the first big area that we looked at. Um, and I I, mean, I could move on to the second and the third and we will move on to the second and the third but uh, I don't know if that raised any questions with you, Ben
1: Yes, yeah, so just so I've got this clear there is a body called B-Lab Global which is an American non-profit and mm-hmm. from that tendrils are spreading out across the world via the B-Global network and one of those tendrils has reached our shores and that is B-Lab UK which is a registered charity and That's it right. has this accreditation like, I don't know, Investor in People, Athena Swan, Stonewall Diversity Champion, all that sort of thing. Um, and because it sounds so cuddly and so fashionable, companies are sort of tripping over themselves to try and get this accreditation. So I suppose the question that follows then, what do companies have to do? So say I'm running a business and I want to have this accreditation from uh, B UK? I want to be a B Corp. What do I have to do? What do my staff have to sign up to? How does it affect freedom of speech? Yeah.
0: Well, those are great, long questions. And I'll be clear. Because having written a report, Ben, I'm really tempted to sort of talk and talk and talk. This could be a two-hour podcast, which we'll have a lot of editing to do. But, yeah, the process is not one you you go down lightly. And a a number of, especially if you're a bigger company or a more complex company. So a lot of the b Corps are quite small at the moment. Because the process is so involved... If you've you know, got a legal structure, like so many, once you get above a certain size, your legal structure becomes really complicated. So embedding all of the process across that structure is hard. There's the sort of two or three key things. The first main thing is what's called a B-impact assessment. And that is essentially a series of 200 questions uh, where you get a score according to how you answer that and and it's designed around five impact areas uh, and one of those is community one of those impact areas and that's where equity diversity and inclusion features particularly but you've also got employees and um and and, and other areas that are being looked at in those questions and and they cover things like the ownership of the business so who owns the business is it owned, and what percentage is it owned by minorities or by disadvantaged groups? And that, that's where you start to see some of this justice ideas coming into the B impact assessment. Um, and you kind of go backwards and forwards with B lab to, to, to look at the questions and, and improve your answers to those questions. Um, and maybe set up things you haven't had to have before. And this is why it's quite involved process. It takes... Oh, it takes at least six months, and if you're complicated, it will it will take longer than that. But the other two, so that 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 links into obviously embedding equity, diversity, and inclusion more deeply, and adding the J, uh, yeah. kind of implicitly through those questions. But you've then got another thing, or two other things, mission lock. What we call mission lock. So it's all about dedication to the cause, Ben. So. If you're going to become a B Corp, you have to change your articles of association. Those are the rules by which you run the business. So that the duties of the company or the responsibility of the company isn't just a profit. But, which is, yeah, traditionally, that's what a company's run for, to make profit for shareholders. Now it's more a stakeholder model where it's profit and people and the planet. And you can, you can, you can reverse it. I mean, companies change their articles all the time, but you don't do it lightly. So it's about commitment to the B Corp course. So when it comes to free speech, we're talking about all the things that we see every day in our casework, equity, diversity, including tripping people up again and again. This adds more layers that could trip people up. And it adds um, a sort of a, 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 a one, you know, we're not going back, we're not turning back. And that then leads on to, well, what's the problem with that? Well, issues like, uh, the environment and climate change uh, are very much it's focused around ideas of the climate emergency so if I'm an employee and I have views that maybe I'm, ske- I'm a skeptic a lot of people are especially when you realize the cost of net zero for example what happens to me as an employee in a B Corp that's gone through this process and is mission locked how how easy in practice is it going to be to have my free speech Because we know with non-B Corps it's hard enough, but if the B Corp is is kind of single-mindedly going towards this, then that makes it even harder.
1: And the, these terms that were being used when this was all being set up in 2006,
0: I think, the report said. In the US in 2006. In the UK, it was
1: 2015. Yeah, OK. So, well, OK, let's just talk about the UK then. So even back in 2015, if you'd used words or terms like social justice or equality or even equity, perhaps, I think people mm. would have had quite a fundamentally different idea about what those concepts mean than they do now. There's there's no doubt, I think, that the meaning of those terms has changed. And so what sounds, you know, what might have sounded reasonable or, uh, or decent or uh, beneficial in 2015 now seems to be, uh, it, it carries an implicit threat with it, which is the one you just yeah. described, that if you don't go along with a very particular idea of what equality means i.e. equity, the idea that the outcomes should be the same, um, then you're in a lot of trouble. And of course that's what we see at the Free Speech Union all the time when yeah. we're helping our helping our members. So there there is a distinct slide in what that kind of language means. Um and so it's it's Jedi, isn't it? That's the It's uh, Jedi,
0: yeah. It's it's justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. And and building on that, Ben, when we think about what this means for free speech, once you become a B Corp, all employees of B Corps can join the sort of B Corp Facebook or B Corp LinkedIn. And it's called the Beehive. And the Beehive, you, you get a login, you can go in and, and you can share ideas and post and message, and you even get discounts and talk about different ways of improving things like equity, diversity, inclusion, improving things like your climate um, uh, footprint or your carbon footprint. So it's an exchange place. Now we've had problems with people being kicked off Facebook, people being kicked off Twitter. And again, I would worry for the purging of a person who's an employee who jumps onto Beehive, says something that doesn't resonate with the sort of, well, I mean, beehive groupthink. You know that is the concern. Um, then they would get into trouble. And, and as you say, they're not getting into trouble for things that most of the country <laughs> thinks are crazy. They're getting into the trouble for for what the activist people are signing up to. Well, this is uh, that. That's the point that's
1: made powerfully by um, Sir Jacob Rees Mogg in his foreword to the report. Mm-hmm. He says exactly that. That you know what would what recourse would a brexiteer employee or job applicant Nat West, have had for holding popular but unfashionable views, um, yeah. and yeah. you know it's worth laboring the point that this isn't a theoretical problem. This is something that that we encounter on a daily basis with of people who are being uh, hounded out of their uh, employment or are. Uh, being penalised or, or you know sometimes it, it doesn't even rise to that threshold does it Tom sometimes it's just people who are afraid to speak up because they know that they will have problems if they don't carry woke privilege if they are uh, not in that that super category of employee who can
0: express their views because their views align with uh, the B Corp ecosystem. That's such a good point, Ben. You know, that 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 is such a good point. It's the self-censorship, isn't it? It's not even the, the saying things that gets you into trouble, that gets you purged. It's just the realization that if you say it, you might get into trouble. And the punishment, the, the process is the punishment. And so you don't say anything. And if you are someone who has certain views on net zero, that it might be too pricey, too costly, or you are someone who has views that actually... I'm a gender critical um, believer, uh, you decide, well, I'm not gonna put I'm not gonna say something. And we see this all the time, but if you're living in a B Corp collective, as it were, and a lot of it is about collectives. There's there's something called the B Corp Climate Collective. So B Corps are working together uh, and creating groups and, and trying to use the power of groups to 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 push a view on these on these issues, as if it's all the debate as if the debate is over. And there is something called the Declaration of Interdependence that every newly certified B Corp has, has to sign. And this is not Pennsylvania in America in 1776 or whenever, whenever or wherever the Declaration of Independence. This is Declaration of Interdependence, which commits, again, it's that single-minded mission focus, commits the company to find a way of, of supporting business for, for the good of society and for the good of the environment um so again re- really hard to to convey how good it sounds and 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 it does have a lot of good in it you know no one's saying it doesn't it it's, it comes from a good place but when we're talking about freedom of expression and we're talking about freedom of speech and you make the link to our casework and our 3 years of experience at the free speech union and the people who cry out for help every single day it's very, very worrying. We're looking at it with that set of glasses. We know cancel culture exists, uh, and and this doesn't look as cuddly as it might sound. I think is is the, the fundamental issue here.
1: Just before we spoke, Tom, I was reading an article by Liam Duffy about uh, Salman Rushdie and blasphemy violence and its history and likely future. And one line that struck me from that was every book never written, every painting never painted, every critique never voiced and every historical inquiry never made. That is the true story of blasphemy violence. So in other words, it's not just the translators or the bookshops or the publishers or the authors who are being attacked. that That's obviously A big part of it but beneath that visible layer is all of the stuff that's never produced all of the writing that's never done all of the art that's never made and so on and that is the dynamic of cancel culture as well albeit the stakes generally are not um you're not concerned with violence um but i i think it's it's a similar dynamic in that respect in that you know there are some things you just you just don't bother because of, of, what, of what the likely cost will be now tom i'm not above repeating my jokes um and i did say to you last <laughs> week I, and I your jokes that... are amazing ben every time <laughs> <laughs> best i've heard <laughs> I, for, for the benefit of listeners I'll, I'll, I'll repeat what i said last week that i thought a be- better acronym would be sith rather than jedi mm. or sinister intersectional twaddle here um because <laughs> it, it all it all sounds so cuddly um but but when you see the implications that it has and if you're you know, if you're outside this worldview, where if you don't have this this state ideology, uh, this white privilege deep in your heart and in your conscience,
0: um if you're just looking on in horror at what's going mm. on, you know. Well, you're right, Ben. I I love the uh, Star Wars analogies that come out of this. The Jedi. Are a bit boring when I watch the, when I watch the movies. I think that they're, they're all about being good, aren't they? And there's nothing there's nothing more boring than people who are just about being good. The Sith, the Sith, are far more interesting in, as characters. And I, I have to say, I, the Emperor Palpatine, who is the ultimate Sith, uh, is the and Darth Vader, of course, uh, are, are, are more interesting characters. So I think that's a a really nice allusion. Um, yeah. But yeah, go on.
1: Uh, well, the risk of losing all of our listeners who are not massive Star Wars fans. I think <laughs> one, one lesson that you can take from the Star Wars films um, is, is the danger of self-righteousness, of thinking mm. that you are doing good and therefore anything that you do is good because you are doing it. It's the, it's the Richard Nixon line. If the president does it, that means it's not illegal. Um, and it, it's that same sort of spirit that seems to be animating uh, B Corp, i.e. we say this is good. And therefore, anything we do in furtherance of this good thing is itself good. And punishing people who are obstructing us is also good. And it, it is that it is that self righteousness, I think.
0: And and it squashes out a place for the heretic. You know yeah. that this whole idea of the heretic, I think, is an area we've talked about, and then we're we're continuing to think it through. And there's um, Brendan O'Neill's excellent book on heresy and and the need for us to be heretics. These places and spaces that are being created by the righteous are squashing out the heretic and, and the maverick. And that makes us not just poor, it, it may, it's, a dangerous, it's a dangerous road to go down. As you say, that, that's, that righteousness leads only to a bad place. I mean, that's why, and this is the last point about the B Court phenomenon, that's why we are worried about one of the campaigns called the Better Business Act, which would change the law. And it would change the law so that we would, uh, in section, it's, it's section um, 172 of the C- Companies Act 2006, it would change the law so that this stakeholder capitalism approach would replace shareholder capitalism. So instead of, instead of just profit, companies would have to uh, rank state, um, planet and people, all companies in the UK would have to rank those three things, planet, people and profit equally and you know that sounds again really benign and different companies that could mean different things and they might um you know exercise those duties in from a different place and 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 have a heterogeneous way of of putting that into practice but heterogeneity is not what we've been talking about over the last multiple episodes. We've been talking about homogeneity. We talk about groupthink. There's, a, there's an orthodoxy, and it's rooted, it's deeply rooted in our society at the moment. And therefore, something like that law change is very, very worrying.
1: Well, this is a topic we're bound to come back to because as the report sets out, and you can read the report, by the way, on the Free Speech Union's uh, website, it's on our homepage right now, so I'd recommend going and having a look at that. Um, But it's growing massively, isn't it, the number of uh, companies that have this accreditation in the UK. And I I think I'm right in saying as well that um, the number of accredited companies in the UK is greater than in the whole of mainland Europe, um, which is... Interesting. Yeah. And, and again, I, I think reinforces this sense that woke is an Anglosphere phenomenon, um, or at least that's the main, the, the English language is the main uh, vector for spreading woke ideology. And I know the French have their own battles about um, you know, gen- gendered aspects of language and so on, um, that they yeah. are very vociferous in, in, in resisting woke and English
0: encroachments um I that's a really good point about the Anglosphere it is yeah, you know, the U.S. and the U.K. there are there are moments when I was writing the report Ben when I couldn't remember I couldn't work out whether I was on the U.S. or the U.K. website because so much of it was was resonating with the other website um and, and that's not untrue of some of the others but yeah this is something we we've picked up and we really run with in the U.K. That. Well, we've
1: got a, a completely different story. I think this will be something that lots of listeners will have seen on social media last week, and this was the, it must be said, pretty harrowing video of the arrest by West Yorkshire Police of an autistic teenage girl, um, uh, in, in mm. circumstances that are, are, I mean they're almost unbelievable, aren't they? If, you know, if we'd not yeah. been paying attention to uh, the state of british policing it has to be said unfortunately in the last few years particularly i think it 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 would be completely unbelievable so she had um this girl had said that one of the officers who'd been present at her home um looked like her i think lesbian nana was was what that's right yeah lesbian nana yeah so she she'd compared this officer who had you know blonde hair short short haircut a female officer with a short haircut uh, to a lesbian member of her family now I don't think there's any suggestion that she'd said it in a pejorative way. I don't, mm. I don't, I've not seen any evidence that this was meant to be insulting or anything other mm. than an observation. And of course, one of the, um, one of the side, one of the, um, characteristics of, of autism and, uh, for autistic people will be making comments that others perceive to be inappropriate. And indeed, <laughs> that's one of the characteristics of teenagers, you might say. Um, And yet she was arrested by, I think, seven police officers barging into the house.
0: It's a harrowing video, Ben. Everyone I've spoken to has said it's a tough watch. And it it really is a tough watch um, to see um, fully uniformed police officers, burly, you know, big big, big, uh, police officers in a relatively small home, and to see the girl clearly just in distress withdrawing into the corner, and yet the police officers... In you know in on mass in this video recording, kind of heading towards her uh, to make an arrest, and it it, it is a hard watch um, and almost astonishing to think we are talking about British policing here.
1: And it, it was for a supposedly homophobic hate crime. And the after this video had had gone viral on social media, West Yorkshire Police have put out this statement. Um, trying to calm things down, obviously had a completely um, counterproductive effect and they have been uh, rightly hounded for days over mm. the actions of their officers. We wrote to the police force on Friday last week uh, urging that no further action be taken against this girl and also that no non-crime hate incident be recorded against her. Um, you may remember that uh, in large part, thanks to the efforts of the Free Speech Union, Harry Miller, Fair Cop. And so on. New guidance has been issued to police forces by the Home Secretary about the recording of non-crime hate incidents, so that police forces are not recording incidents that are entirely trivial, um, you know, and/or based on on spurious accusations or um, the the impression of a complainant about somebody else's intention in making a comment that you can't record nonsense incidents like that so we wrote this letter saying it's completely ludicrous that there should be any talk of a hate crime prosecution in this situation Um, but also there must be no non-crime hate incident recorded against this girl it, it, yeah. it fails the threshold for that much less for a public order offense anyway the police did belatedly announce on friday evening that they would be taking no further action but this is just one of those moments where, where again you think how on earth did we did we get here and i think tom we can supply some of the answer to that because we did some uh, research uh, one of yep. our colleagues published a report back in march of this year about free speech training for police forces or the lack of it And of the police forces we approached, 78% did either no training on free speech or else inadequate training. So you can entirely see actually how we've got to a point where seven police officers are at the home of a teenage girl with autism trying to arrest her because she said, you look like my lesbian nana. So in fact, you know, it's not actually a mystery how we got here.
0: And, and in that report, the urgent need to teach the police about free speech, 56, so you're right, 78% were getting inadequate training or no training. 56% of the police forces we surveyed, they had EDI, so equity, diversity, inclusion, inextricably, inextricably embedded in police training, and was often which was often described as a golden thread in all the training. Um, so, you know, again, that, that stat is, again, explains the other half. Not only do they not understand... Uh, free expression and article 10 but they also really do understand and are very sensitive to a particular view of equity diversity and inclusion and that is seems to be what's happening in this case and you know another thing i'd say west yorkshire police i was looking at the number of public instances we've had with west yorkshire police particularly in the last couple well it's a couple of years now you know quran gate with the, the, the child who got in trouble, that was West Yorkshire Police. Batley Grammar School, that was West Yorkshire Police. Lady of Heaven film, that was West Yorkshire Police. The um, case of the street preacher who misgendered someone, David McConnell, that hit the hit the public eye again earlier this year, that was West Yorkshire Police. And now this 16 year old autistic girl was West Yorkshire Police. So we've got five public, very public cases where we have said you're not protecting free expression in modern britain whether that's blasphemy laws uh, in the first three of those or whether it's um lgbtq alternative views you know that aren't aren't the the orthodox views um west yorkshire police are making the wrong call and it's just astonishing you can you can list them off like that
1: i, I was going i'm glad you mentioned the karangate story because you know it, it's worth just dwelling again briefly on on what happened there with the the light scuffing of a copy of um, the Quran owned by uh, a boy at school. So he damaged his own book by accident. And then we had that spectacle of the community meeting in the mosque with police officer present while um, the boy's mother was praised for not Mm. requesting further action be taken against Muslim boys who had threatened her son following this incident. And we all know, obviously, that these... Episodes are absolutely deadly and could not be more dangerous. And to have the police present at that sham blasphemy trial was just the most shocking spectacle. Um, so I, I think of you know as you've just done, going, going through all of those examples. If there is a case of a police force that more urgently need training about protecting freedom of speech, freedom of expression. I I you know I struggle to think of I it must it must it must begin with West Yorkshire police for god's sake um yeah. you know seeing that video yeah. seeing this this uh this sham trial at the mosque and so on um you know the the, the, the overemphasis on edi training um for, mm. for the police, again again we'll I'm I'm you know it's not theoretical it, it's having awful consequences and you can imagine how stressful um, and perhaps traumatising, being arrested would be for any teenager, but much less for, um, much more much also, excuse me, for a teenager with autism. And, and you can see in the video, the officer's trying to make the arrest and, and she's hiding in a, in a sort of cupboard and um, you know, terrified yep. to come out. Um, and her mother, I think, is in the video at that point saying she's autistic and the police officer is saying, I don't care. Mm.
0: Yeah. It, it it comes back to what you said a little earlier when we were talking, and this is the link with the sort of uh, previous discussion. This righteous righteousness, the self righteousness yeah. that goes along now with the training of the police, and therefore the way they look at the world, and it you know we, we can link it back to the introduction of hate laws, and we can link it back to the introduction of speech codes. We you know people say, oh, well, freedom of speech doesn't matter that much. Well. I think where we've got to shows what happens when we forget how important freedom of expression is. When we put other things above freedom of expression, we get a police force that, I mean, I look at, now, West Yorkshire police on this particular instance say that there is additional footage that shows uh, that there was an, there's another context to it. Well, maybe, maybe, but from what I've seen, they look like bullies going into a home and uh i think that is what you know ask the question what does our police force become and how has it happened and this idea of pursuing good being on the on the side of good without that questioning of oneself to say well actually and you know go back to what christianity says we are all sinful it's the first thing you do when you go to church is you say we are all we are all fallen we are all we're all very very imperfect and it's a a wonderfully refreshing way to think about oneself as a human being is to start from a position of saying, you know what, I I haven't got this right, this business of life. I've really mucked it up in all sorts of ways, in the way that I I talk to others and speak to others and and treat other people. But once you say say that to yourself first, you can can leave that service or whatever it might be. And, And it's a long time since I've been to church, but you can leave that service feeling you can hit hit the road again
1: well tom i, I said those very words yesterday i was i was at a, at a christening in fact on sunday so um those words are ringing oh. in my ears still um and, and it couldn't be more anathema to uh, the way in which um woke works and mm-hmm. the you know the animating guiding principles of of woke and um the importance of Of the self and one's own identity and characteristics and and that produces the spectacle we get i mean i I, who knows maybe maybe one of the other officers did say this but but one thing that struck me watching it was how could you be in that group of police officers watching what was going on and not just take your colleagues your superiors to one side and say are you sure we've got this right yeah i don't you know i'm not sure i'm not sure we're doing the right thing here and maybe maybe one of them did say that I don't know.
0: Again, that's the additional context we don't know about, isn't it? And it could well be something comes out in the next few days that provides additional context. Um, so we are, you know, we are talking about what we've seen uh, and what the nation has seen at this stage. And it really is the nation. The outcry is is very wide. And if what we've seen is in any way close to the full picture, um, then yeah, this is a sort of situation where in every way it, it raises questions about um who who there who who, there, who, who, who why why amongst that number of officers was there not someone who said this doesn't feel right you're right this this is doing this to an autistic child doesn't somehow doesn't feel quite right you know
1: well D- um, <laughs> the, uh, david mitchell's sketch are we the baddies Um, Yeah, you know, surely I
0: do. I do with the skulls, the skulls on the cats. If
1: you're if you're in a squad of police officers, you know, barging into someone's house to drag out their teenage daughter because she said one of your colleagues like a lesbian, you know, do you not do you not have a moment where you think, oh my god, are we the baddies? Yeah, I don't know. I hope someone
0: did. I hope someone did. Well, I think we. I think that's probably it, isn't it, Tom? I for today, Ben. I think I think it is. I think we've covered two very. Deep areas, and obviously, we started off by thinking about the whole terminology of how we how we discuss this 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 world we're living in. Uh, and fresh terminology and fresh terms like um, woke privilege are helpful because they inject meaning into what we're talking about. Because if we keep talking about these things, like words like cancel culture, they lose their meaning very easily because we repeat them and repeat them and repeat them. So having new phrases and having new words like Uh, woke privilege enables us to describe it in a fresh way and bring it to life in a new way from another dimension so i'm really grateful to that listener who who wrote in and we're always open to hear from our listeners um uh, on that kind of thing um but ben did you have anything else to add
1: No, well, actually, just one thing to say that uh, next week, we're being joined by Sybil Ruth, we're going back into the uh, world of literature, the arts publishing. And she is an editor who the Free Speech Union have been helping out for quite some time, and she's fighting a legal battle. Uh, So we're going to be talking to her about what's going on, what her situation is, and the broader importance of her case. Um, So I think that would be another really interesting conversation. This is an area that we've 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 come back to uh sadly we've had cause to come back to it many times but i think it will be a very interesting conversation so we uh hope you will listen then and thank you for listening now and remember you can join the free speech union if you uh, listen to podcasts and support would like to support our work uh, we're certainly kept very busy um and thank you to those who are already members goodbye